Since this is a series about forgiveness, I just wanted to let you know that I don't always forgive the way God asked me to. So I just wanted to get that out there. And in fact, to, to kind of illustrate this, I'll share with you something that happened in my high school years that will pave the way for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, what will help you understand my story is that for high school, I went to a high school that was several hours away from home. And because of that, I lived in something called a dormitory. And so for four years of my high school life, I would, whenever I was at school, I'd always uh, stay in the dorm. So that said, my freshman year of high school, I shared my room with three other freshmen. And we got to know each other pretty well. We were all kind of shell-shocked at the beginning, but we became good friends. But something happened with me and one of the other guys. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember what started it. But we got into this cycle of revenge. Um, one day, I remember coming into my uh, dorm room, and my alarm clock wasn't working. And I, what's going on? And then I noticed that someone had cut the wa power wire. And so it was no longer receiving power. And so in response to that, I did something to get even. I can't remember what it was, but I did something to get even. Um, one day, I, I was um, coming into my room, and I noticed my bedsheets had something on them. And so I looked closer, and he had smeared, like, marker over it. And so I did something to get even. I don't remember what, but I did something. Must have been good. Because the next thing he did was one day I came into my dorm room and I have my Bible that I got from my confirmation in 1994. Black leather bound, I'm sorry, not Bible, hymnal, hymnal, hymnal. And I noticed that there's some liquid around it. And I'm like, that's really weird. And so I, I look at it, I inspect. And for him, 100, a lamb goes uncomplaining forth had been covered with red Kool-Aid. And it was pooling around it. And in response to this, I did something to him. I don't remember what, but it must have been good because he went on to uh, vandalize my closet door. The one place where I could lock things up to stay safe, he had somehow gummed up the lock mechanism so I couldn't put my key in it to get in to my, my, my door. And, and so I did something to get even. I don't remember what it was. Do you see a theme here? And then finally, it got to this point where we were, again, I can't remember why, but we got into this wrestling match, a physical altercation. We weren't throwing fists or anything like that. It was more like, who's in control here? And because I was bigger, I ended up on top. But at the end of it, neither of us felt like we had really won. Now, we became friends after that. We, we worked that through, and I ended up like, spending a weekend at his house, and we had a great time. We, we worked through it. But in that moment, I realized that this cycle of revenge, responding to harm with consequences, never solves the problem. The big thing that I wanted him to know during this cycle and thing he wanted me to know is that there will be consequences if you mess with me. If you touch my stuff, there will be consequences. We see this on a larger scale with nations. If you do something to us, we're not going to sit around and wait for a couple years. No, there will be immediate consequences to show that if you mess with us, it won't be good for you. And this is what makes forgiveness so difficult. It's so natural for us, to, even in the process of forgiving someone, to say, I forgive you, but... But I want to make sure you've learned your lesson. And what we've seen so far in the series is that when someone harms you in some way, 
when they hurt you, when they cut the cord of your alarm clock. There's three options that you have. In this series, we've been thinking of the analogy of a cactus, where if, if they you know, put a cactus in your hand and you're forced to hold on to it, or if they throw a cactus at you and you, know, you catch it, it hurts. And in that moment, you've got three options. Number one, you can throw it back, and so you take what hurt you and you say, oh yeah, well, I'm going to hurt you right back. And let's be honest, usually the return velocity is a little higher than the incoming velocity. And so that's the revenge. That's the getting even. Um, the other thing you could do is just hold it. You can hold on to it and, and suffer and become bitter and become resentful and say, I'm, I'm just the victim here. Woe is me. But that's no way to live either. And the third way is to do what Jesus commands his followers to do. Forgive. Put it down. Don't throw it back. Don't hold on to it. Don't keep it as ammunition just in case, but you put it down and you walk away. Forgive, refuse to get even, put it down. But this doesn't seem right, does it? Because if you just put it down, aren't they just going to throw something else? Don't you need to teach them a lesson that what they did was not right? The question we're going to answer today is, shouldn't there be consequences when someone hurts you. And I'll tell you, this is a very complicated question to ask because the the consequences for hurt depend on the hurt. Some forms of hurt are actually just you were mildly inconvenienced for a time and you have to find in your heart to forgive and that's a whole different kind of forgiveness. But on, on the other hand, there are people who are scarred for life because of the hurt that they received. Now, Are there consequences? Should there be consequences when you put down the hurt and decide to forgive? Well, today we're going to look at what Jesus taught about when you forgive, should there be consequences attached to it? We're actually going to look at two sections, and here's the fun part. In both sections, Jesus gives us a different answer. In the first section, he's going to say, no, there should be no consequences when you forgive someone. And in the second section, he says, you need to have some consequences, some steps in place when someone hurts you or when someone sins. And what we're going to see is it all depends on how you define that word consequence. And I'm going to hand things over to Jesus as he guides us through how to view this whole topic, how to know when and how to apply consequences along with forgiveness. And so let's turn it over to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, this is a long section. He's challenging people by, by, by sharing things that they had heard before, stated as truth, and now he's taking a different approach. He, sa- he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. He's actually quoting Old Testament scripture. And this Old Testament scripture is giving the nation of Israel some guidelines for how they can interact in a civil way. Long story short, if you get angry at your neighbor and you punch him and he loses his eye as a result, the same will be done back to you. If you punch him and he loses a tooth, you will lose a tooth. If he loses three, you lose three. 
It was a very simple, very basic law. Whatever you do to others will be done to you. And this ensured a very civil society where people treated each other okay. So Jesus says, you've heard it said that when something is done to you, you do the same thing back. There are consequences. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone is attacking you, don't even stand up to defend yourself. And you might think, well, this is not reasonable. This is not responsible. But Jesus is, again, he's challenging us to pull us away from this worldview that I need to get even. And he's challenging us into his kingdom where consequences have a different purpose. He goes on to illustrate, if, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And this isn't about getting beat up. Notice the two words, slap and right cheek. So slap is an open-handed, you know what a slap is. I'm not gonna, it's, a, it's a slap. And then right cheek, why, why emphasize the right cheek? Because if someone is going to be punching you, they'll be punching you with their right hand, hitting your left cheek. This is, this is an insult. And I, I picture those old movies or those old cartoons where they take off their glove and they slap the other person. Like, shame on you, shame on you. And in the Jewish culture, that was the same thing. Um, if, if you wanted to show that someone was out of line, out of place, or if, if they were to be shamed, you would slap them with your left hand on their right side of the cheek. Now, what's your response? If someone com- confronts you and, and they challenge you, they say, you're, you're worthless. Your challenge is to, de- your, your um, natural tendency is to want to defend yourself, to take off your glove and do the same to them. Well, you're an idiot too. <laughs> and, and so things escalate, and before you know it, you're cutting each other's alarm clocks. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. If, if a toddler was angry at you, and they just started swinging, 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 how many times would they have to hit you before you hit them back? Never, thank you. <laughs> if, if a toddler got angry at me, and they were swinging at me, swinging at me, there would never be a point at which I would return fire. Why? because a toddler can't hurt me. What if you had that same mindset? Okay, you just dissed me, you you just said some things that are hurtful, but here's my other cheek. I know who I am. I know what God has declared about me. Don't retaliate. So if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And then if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt and I'll illustrate in just a moment. No, I won't illustrate. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I will put this into modern terms. That's what I meant to say. Um, If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And so the the Greek words imply that there was like a button-up shirt and a suit jacket over it. So that's what I meant. I'm not going (laughs) to illustrate. And so they say, hey, you messed up my shirt. I need yours. And I didn't mess up your shirt. No, I need your shirt. Okay, so you give them your shirt, and here, have my suit coat too. That's that's weird. Why would you give them more than what they're actually asking for? Jesus goes on to challenge us even more. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. At that time, the Roman soldiers were allowed to basically abduct civilians and have them carry their backpack for up to one Roman mile, which equaled 1,000 steps. So if you were just a civilian walking the streets and a Roman soldier comes up to you and they say, walk my mile, 
you are obligated to take their pack, which often weighed around 100 pounds, and walk with them up to one mile against your will. Jesus said, if someone does that to you, go the extra mile. In all of these situations, you're not treating them as an enemy. So remember that. You're not treating them as an enemy. And the consequences of what they're doing is actually coming back to you. Jesus goes on to say, give to those who ask. Do not, return, do not turn away from those who want to borrow from you. Give, 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 give. This, it's this mindset that we're so often afraid to defend ourselves. Jesus says, don't, you don't need to do that in my kingdom. In my kingdom, you can give freely without any fear. And then he goes on. You have heard that it was said, and here's kind of the big point. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you've heard. But I tell you, and what I've been demonstrating for you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be evident to people as children of your Father in heaven. So if you ask Jesus, okay, so someone you know, hits me, what should I do? Can I, I can, I'll forgive them, but there's going to be some consequences, right? To teach them a lesson? If someone steals from me, I, I can forgive them, but I'm going to take them to court to sue them. I can do that, right? In the context of Matthew 5, Jesus would say, no. There should be no consequences on the person who wrongs you. The consequence, if anything, should be on you to give more than what they asked. Because in my kingdom, you love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. And this comes to an important distinction. Here's where there can be some confusion in this matter. Because there's different ways to define the word consequence. There's at least three ways that I can think of. The first way to define consequence is as a punishment. For example, when Jesus died on the cross, the punishment that was on him took away the consequences of my sin. So I no longer have the consequence of punishment on me because that's been put on Jesus. And so sometimes we use that word, there's consequences. What we're talking about is punishments. Um, there's another way to think about consequences, and this is more of the self-misery type of consequence. Um, scenario is, if, if I would go out and break the law and get arrested and show up before the judge, I don't think it would change much if I told him, judge, it's okay, I'm forgiven by God. <laughs> the judge would say, well, there's still going to be consequences. Even though I might stand forgiven by God in that moment, there will still be consequences for my actions. So Jesus took the consequences for my sin. Sometimes I have to deal with the consequences for my actions. But then there's a third kind of consequence, the consequence that you impose on someone else. Because you did this, because you did this, things will be different for a while. Maybe an illustration, if, if you have a young driver in your household and you teach them how to be safe, but they go off and they're reckless and they get in trouble and maybe they cause an accident and thankfully no one is hurt, but you, you, you forgive them, but you say, because you did that, we're going to take this driving thing differently for a few months. Maybe we're going to take a break. Maybe we're going to be sitting in the car with you when you're driving. So there's consequences for their good, but... But it's not about punishment. So number one, what we see about consequences from Jesus is that consequences should be designed and carried out with love. 
That should be your primary factor. And that's how we're going to define that for the rest of this message. Consequences aren't about getting even. Or it's not even about letting people just you know, simmer in their own self-misery. Well, you're getting what you deserve. But rather, consequences are a loving thing established for the good of the other person. But in some scenarios, if you were to sit down with me and say, I'm trying to forgive this person, should I, should I do anything in response? In some cases, Jesus would say no. Because in his kingdom, it's, it's about forgiving. It's about loving even your enemies. And then Jesus goes on with this, Matthew 18. So here's a different scenario where Jesus says, well, there should be some consequences. If your brother or sister sins, and in the context of this, Jesus is talking about fellow followers of Jesus. So we're all in church together. We all believe believe the same thing. If you notice that your brother or sister in Christ sins, not just that they had this moment, but that they're in a life, like something in their life is pulling them away from God there must be a consequence. He says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, they repent and they say, would you forgive me? You have won them over. And Jesus starts small. And if you're meeting with your group this week, you can talk about the wisdom and the progression that he's about to lay out. Why is it smart just to talk one-on-one? as opposed to telling everyone, oh, did you hear what they did? But Jesus says, no, start small. Because the win is not to make them a bad person. The win is to win them back. So if someone sins, there's a consequence. You go and confront them. And by the way, this is not the easy consequence to take. Can, can you just imagine, you, you know, if, if you're a member of the church, you notice someone else that's kind of wandering away from God. Isn't it awkward to confront them and say, hey, you're sinning. And doesn't that threaten the potential of your relationship with them if you were to confront them with this? But Jesus said, this has to happen. If you notice it, go, and just between the two of you, call them out. Next verse, if, if, they, if they don't listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was in the Old Testament law. And one of the benefits of this is that if, if I confront someone about their sin, I might actually be mistaken about the whole situation. And so a, a second person, a third person, as they're brought in, they might say, no, Matt, actually, they're fine. You're the one who needs to repent. And so having other people in the mix is a blessing for everyone. But in this scenario, Jesus is working with the assumption that this person really did something wrong. These two or three others, they're coming along to, to, to encourage this person to turn from their sin. But then he goes on, if they still don't listen, tell it to the church. And I want to be clear about what Jesus said. He didn't say, tell it during church. That would be awkward for everyone. In, in his context, the church isn't a place. The church is a group of people who follow Jesus. Uh, for, for, for him, the church was the 12 disciples. And at times like the 72, the, the, the people who would follow him. Tell it to the others that you're gathered with, not as a way of gossiping, but because we're concerned that this person who is in our church is wandering away from it. So if they refuse to listen to those two or three, tell it out of love to the church. 
And in our context today, it, again, it wouldn't be about standing up during church and, and airing of grievances, but what it would look like is maybe going to a pastor or the pastors or our member care team with a concern, saying, we've, we've tried, we've been speaking to them, but we're concerned that they're wandering away from God. And then Jesus says some shocking, seems like shocking at first. He says, if, if they refuse to listen, even to the church, then they've confirmed where they stand outside of the church. So if they refuse to listen to the church, they're demonstrating they're not part of it anymore. So treat them as you would. This sounds harsh, but I'll explain. Treat them as you would a pagan. Now, if you were taking notes today, if you could list like three things, okay, how to treat a pagan. Uh, step one, step two, step three. Like, what go, well, yeah, what goes into your mind? Like for me, I get these vicious things that come to mind because the word pagan is definitely charged in a lot of ways. But when Jesus said, treat them like a pagan, the, the word pagan in Greek can also be translated as Gentile. A, a, a rough modern day application, because I don't think we go around calling people pagans today. Um, don't, try, don't try it. Um, what we would say is that some people are unchurched or they, they don't believe in God. They're atheist, they're agnostic. So Jesus said, if, if they're not listening to the church, treat them as you would someone outside the church. You're kind to them. You love them. You look for opportunities to talk about Jesus with them. But you don't expect them to live as a follower of Jesus anymore. They are released from that obligation because they're not following him. And then he goes on with a different level. He says, also, treat them as you would a tax collector. Keep in mind, Jesus actually recruited tax collectors to be his disciples. So again, it's not about being angry at them or three things to do to tax collectors today. It's, it's not about treating them unfairly or unlovingly. It's about treating them for who they've decided to be. Not one of you anymore. So they might still collect your taxes. You might still eat at their restaurant. But stop expecting them to live as someone who follows Jesus if they've made it clear they're not. But in all these situations, as, as Jesus said, here are the consequences if someone has sinned and you seek to forgive them. Here are the steps you take. In all these things, he's demonstrating an extraordinary amount of love for this person. And that's number two. Loving consequences take into account the long-term well-being of the other person. Consequences are not designed to punish them or to get even at them. I forget, uh, just, just picture this, um, two siblings kind of getting into a fight and you know, they're kind of hitting each other and the parent walks in, what are you doing? And the older one is like, it's okay, I'm just setting boundaries. <laughs> Consequences are not supposed to get even. They're not designed to inflict punishment. It's designed with the long-term well-being of the other person in mind. Um, I, I think of it this way. Maybe uh, these consequences, like boundaries, can be compared to a road construction barrier. Sometimes if it's only lasting a few days or a week, you'll just see the orange cones come out and they'll guide you into the safe lane while something's being worked on. In other cases, they get out the big concrete barriers. It's going to be a long-term project or cars are going pretty fast here, so they need to keep, th keep people in the safe place so that the work can go on in the other place. 
construction zones are not designed to punish drivers, although it feels that way sometimes. Construction zones are designed to keep everybody safe as things get fixed and worked on. And so when you forgive someone, consequences or boundaries should not be used as a way to attack them or get even at them or make them really feel the pain of what they've done. Rather, those consequences, those boundaries should be used to keep both parties safe. And I, I know a lot of this message is, is focused on the, the, um, the, the practice of putting consequences on other people and setting up barriers to keep yourself safe. And so there's one thing I really want to emphasize, and, and that is in, in God's kingdom, I, I think as Jesus spoke to people and taught people in the first century, I think it was assumed that if someone is hurting you, the priority is to get safe. If someone is abusing you, the priority is to find help. The first response is not to say, I'm being abused, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Because a loving person would want to stop this hurt, the hurt that they are receiving, so that the person who's doing the hurting can also get help as they need. So I think it, it almost goes without saying, but again, in, in a topic like this, I don't want it to be unsaid. Number three, that loving consequences create a safe path for you to pursue reconciliation and healing. Reconciliation and or healing. Because while the ideal in God's kingdom is that when two people sin against each other, that they would be able to create this, these consequences, these boundaries so that they can heal and one day take down the barriers and be reconciled. That's the goal. That's not always possible. And Jesus himself said that there are cases, even in marriage, where you should not feel compelled to reconcile. Forgive, yes, but maybe reconcile, no. And this is where it is so wise to bring other people into your life as an objective voice, not just your friends who will always say, oh, I'm so sorry, he, they're horrible, but objective people who don't know everything so that you can share with them from your perspective and say, what should I do next? Ideally, forgiveness and the boundaries that might accompany it will lead to reconciliation. But work with others to determine if maybe your best option is just to heal. And I know what's true of all of us is that eventually we'll be on the other side of this too. I will eventually hurt people. I have in the past hurt people to the point where they said, let's set some boundaries. We need some consequences. I remember times from my childhood where I did things and, and because of what I did, my parents forgave me, but they said, well, things are going to be different. There's going to be some consequences and they were for my good. But as an adult, those, those times can hurt even more. Whether it comes from a boss or a spouse or someone who just loves you and they say, we love you, we forgive you, but things need to change. It can be so hard to be on the receiving end when they start to put those barriers, those boundaries in your lane. So how do you handle that? How did Jesus handle it? When he was on a cross, suffering the consequences of what he had never done, 
Now just hear this. If someone is hurting you unjustly, one of the best things you can do is notify the appropriate authorities to have them stop, not just so that they stop hurting you, but so that they don't hurt other people either. So as Jesus was on his cross, being punished for what he didn't do, he had every right to call out for justice against those who were putting him to death. Because after all, if they did this to him, what would they do to the next poor, innocent person? This was setting a dangerous precedent for how to get a person crucified and who should be crucified. And so Jesus had all the right, all the authority to to shout out how innocent he was and how this was not appropriate and how he should defend future possible victims. But instead of shouting out for justice against those who crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know that the consequence I'm facing actually belongs to them. They don't know the beauty of what's happening in this moment and and the ugliness of what's happening in this moment all at the same time. It was in the worst of situations that the love and the glory of God shined so brightly. And so Jesus did not call out for justice. He called out for forgiveness. And it was here on that cross that he exemplified everything he had taught to love your enemies, to go the extra mile, to give even more than they tried to take. That day, they they tried to take his life. But instead, he gave them eternal life. And so when you and I are faced with the consequences of our sins, when other people put the boundaries in our lane and say, we need to work on this, it's so easy to get defensive and say, no, the boundary should be in your lane. You're the one who's wrong. And it's so easy to get just out of sorts in those moments And so when that does happen, would you just find your identity in Jesus and his perfect record for you? And number four, bear your own consequences with humility to learn and grace to grow. In relationships, there's always some wrong on both sides. But a proper Christ-like humility will be quiet. Just be humble and you will, as we listen, it gives an opportunity to change. But the change we seek is not just knowing more about yourself, but it's the grace from God to know that your sins have been washed away and the consequence has been removed. And so this is going to challenge us this week, isn't it? How do we put this into practice? And how do we have the wisdom to know when to just forgive <laughs> And when to forgive with boundaries and with consequences? Well, it all goes back to how we view what Jesus did. And taking our cue from him, the foundation upon which we build is love. Love for them, love for God, and also for ourselves. And as difficult as this is to know when to forgive with consequences and with boundaries, next week we're actually going to talk about something more difficult We're going to talk about the most difficult person in the world to forgive, yourself.
We'll pick it up there next time. I pray, dear Father in heaven, today we tackle a difficult topic, which is the idea of how and when to impose consequences along with the unconditional forgiveness that we first received from you. Help us to take our cue from you. Help us remember that, that forgiveness is always without condition. But yet for our safety and maybe for the other person's good, sometimes forgiveness must accompany consequences as well. Guard our hearts from the temptation to use consequences as a way to punish the other person or to get even or to let them stew in their own self-hurt. Uh, but rather, give us the wisdom and the love to be able to use these next steps as ways to reconcile and to love as you have loved us. So be with us this week and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.